0: Well, the series is called A Year with Jesus. We're going through the church calendar, and we are trying to do this with some thoughtfulness. And so we've asked our small groups, if you're a part of a small group, to go through the Gospels. So I'm going to talk a little bit about my small group this morning. I'm in a guys group. We meet Thursday mornings. at 6.45 in the morning. Any guy is invited to join us. If you're a lady and you want to join a small group, we have plenty others we would love to connect you with. But we've been going through, my small group's been going through the gospel of Matthew. We got through Matthew chapter 13, and then we picked up a book that we've provided for small groups. Most of our small groups are doing this book. It's called Jesus, a very short introduction. It's hopefully giving people a bigger picture of kind of connecting the dots to all these gospel stories of who Jesus is, how he understood himself, and what the kingdom of God looks like, what Jesus is doing in the world. So I passed out the book last week. So... If you, want to, if you want to come to a small group, you can. I've got a book in my office. I'll give it to you. You can read and you can join us this Thursday. I passed out the book, so we didn't talk about the book last week, but I had questions prepared. If you're going through a small group, then you will have done this as well. I asked two questions. The first question I asked is, think of a time in your life when you were curious about Jesus. So for those of you in small group, maybe this rings a bell or is preparing you for a conversation you're about to have. But if you're not in a small group, it's a good question for you to think through. Think of a time in your life when you were curious about Jesus. What was going on in your life that made you curious? Why were you curious? There's six or seven guys in our small group. It was fun. To, I mean, honestly, we talked for an hour and 15 minutes. It was, a, it was just a delightful conversation, just listening to guys talk about a season in their past when they were curious about Jesus. Some of those seasons were decades ago. Some of them were six months ago. God's moving in our church in cool ways. And I was just asking, well, why? Why do you think? And it's just interesting to hear the different reasons why people got curious. It's often a person. Well, there was this person in my life who was living for Jesus or knew Jesus. And because of how they lived or who they were, I was curious. I wanted to know more. It's partly true of my story. but, But I also went a little bit further. For me, it wasn't just people, but it was the way people talked about Jesus. I grew up going to church, but I don't remember the church I grew up in talking much about the grace of God. The word grace wasn't a word that was familiar to my vocabulary, and I, I was, what do you mean by grace? Why do you talk so much about grace? I'm still learning about grace. And they talked about a relationship with Jesus. There was something about a relationship with Jesus that, I, that sounded right, that I wanted, but I had no idea what that was. What's a relationship? I got curious. Think of a time in your life when you were curious. What caused that curiosity? But then I wanted to bring it into today. I don't, we don't want to just reflect on the past. What's God doing in our lives today? So I said, well, now that we've all shared a time in our past when we've been curious about Jesus, how would you rate your curiosity about Jesus today? I asked our small group, on a scale of 1 to 10, not because we're judging, but, but just try to have an honest, vulnerable, authentic evaluation. It doesn't matter if you're a 10 or a 1 God doesn't meet you where you think you should be. He meets you where you are. Can you be honest and open? Where are you? Where are you on a scale? How curious are you about Jesus? And so that was good. We had a variety of curiosities. And actually, I will be honest, I was very encouraged because several people said they are are more curious because of what's going on in our church family. And I love to hear that. (laughs) That's good news. I don't know. Maybe that's a question you can hold on to as we go through our message this morning. On a scale of one to ten, how curious are you about Jesus today, and why? Now, what I really enjoyed was one of the people, a thoughtful part of our Crossview family. He said, "You know, Jeff, it's interesting that you asked the question. How curious are you? You didn't ask how rate our belief on a scale of one to ten. You asked us to rate our curiosity." And he said, "That's a very different question." <laughs> I said, you're right, you know, I I don't know that I was necessarily being overly intentional and picking curiosity over belief, but I said, it is a different question because I know everybody in our small group believes in Jesus. Everyone says, oh, we're all in, we totally believe in Jesus, he died on the cross, he rose again, he alone is king and Lord, yeah, we believe that. But you understand, as we think about growth, transformation, discipleship, which is what we'll talk about this morning, curiosity then becomes a really important part of that journey, doesn't it? What do I say all the time, and you guys quote it back to me? You will never drift into the Jesus life. If you get complacent, if you get comfortable, then you'll just drift somewhere else. But if you maintain that humility, that curiosity, then you will know the fervency, the beauty of the kingdom of God. So I think that's a good setup. It's not a funny story. I like to tell funny stories, but it's a good setup. It lets you know some of the stuff going on in our church trying to invite you into a small group, and it sets up what we're going to talk about this morning. We're in Luke chapter 6. It's what is called the Sermon on the Plain. You'll see why it's called the Sermon on the Plain as we get into reading it. But the most famous sermon in the Gospels, we talk about it all the time, is the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 5 to 7. If you've never read it, read it this afternoon. <laughs> Before you leave the sanctuary, read this. It's just a beautiful, it's the greatest sermon ever given. But it's only in Matthew. You can read the other Gospels. They don't have the Sermon on the Mount. There's a variety of reasons why, but Matthew included it. The other Gospel writers didn't feel like they needed to include it. But they do sprinkle the same teachings that you find in the Sermon on the Mount throughout their Gospel story. There's a couple reasons why. One, I've tried to tell you that these gospel writers are inspired by the Holy Spirit and they're intentionally writing discipleship manuals. That's what they're doing. They're very purposeful in how they arrange the story of Jesus. They have a reason for what they're doing. And so some of the fun of studying the gospels is to get to know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and understand what they're doing. But I think the obvious basic reason why you see these teachings of Jesus take place in multiple places is because he taught the same thing on more than one occasion. (laughs) That's what teachers do. If you read our weekly email, I shared that I have two pastor friends that have invited me to come teach to their church family. So actually, Kami, my wife, and I are going to do a marriage conference for one church. And then my other friend invited me to do a men's retreat. And guess what? I'm going to teach stuff I teach here. (laughs) I'm going to be an itinerant teacher. I am not. I told them, I'm like, I'm a little busy right now on these pastoral searches. I don't have time to come up with new stuff. So I'm going to teach some stuff from formed at the marriage conference because it fits perfectly. And then I had a couple sermon series that I had done. I said, look, I can't rewrite stuff, but if you want to listen to these, if any of these would fit what you want to do for your men's retreat. And I just heard back this week, they're like, yes, I love this one. Will you do that? I said, yes. I'm going to teach the same stuff I've already taught. That happens all the time. Jesus did it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 17. We're going to... Kind of get the intro to the sermon. It's really important. This part's really important. And then we're going to begin it, and we're going to continue. We're going to pick up where we leave off this week, next week. Chapter 6, verse 17, when they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, thus the Sermon on the Plain, (laughs) surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from the far north as the seacoasts of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him, and they had also come to be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by evil spirits were healed. I want to pause. Let me read this next line, and I, I want these words even to sink in for you this morning, because what Jesus says is going to be challenging, but we've got to remember who it is who's saying this. This man Jesus is there, crowds are coming, there's diseases, there's demonic possession, there's all kinds of things. Verse 19, everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him. And here it says he healed everyone. (laughs) So they're very receptive to what he's going to say. He's he's healing them. They're just, how, how can we ever thank you, Jesus? Listen to what I have to say. Jesus then turns to his disciples. He says, God blesses you. There's some Beatitudes in Luke. Not all the ones we find in Matthew 5, but here's some of them. God blesses you. Blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you. God blesses you who are hungry now, because you will be satisfied. God blesses you. Blessed are you who weep now. I told you. Blessed are you. What? What? For in due time you will laugh. But you got to remember who's saying It's Jesus. If anyone else said this, we'd be like, uh-uh. If you came across a piece of paper, this was on it, you would, you, would, you would just throw it away. But because you and I know it's Jesus who says it, we pay attention. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? That's Jesus. When that happens... When you are mistreated and you are misrepresented, what does Jesus say when it's done in his name? Be happy. (laughs) Yes, even leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets that same way. This is what happens when you begin to dare to dream about the kingdom of God coming on earth and rearranging things. When you begin to live with an imagination for the future, for what it would look like when God redeems everything... The, the, the waiting world that likes the way things are rejects you. <laughs> but the prophets have always known this. It's always been a part of the story. But this is where we know it's a different teaching because in the Sermon on the Mount, we don't go from the Beatitudes into what we would call woes or laments or sorrows. But here, in the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus goes from the Beatitudes to these woes. And we'll talk about kind of what's, what, what I think the main thing is happening here. Verse 24, woe to you, or what sorrow awaits you who are rich, for you have your only happiness now. Woe to you, or what sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now, for a time of awful hunger awaits you. Woe to you, what sorrow awaits you who laugh now, for your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. Woe to you! What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? For their ancestors also praised false prophets. All right, so let's get into this. You've heard me say this before, but the Beatitudes are kind of a declaration. Jesus is describing the kind of people who are going to be excited when his kingdom comes. And we'll talk about the woes in just a minute, but the same is true there. He's describing the kind of people who aren't going to be excited when his kingdom comes. And I said, we we only really believe these things, because if you watch, I mean, you read through the Psalms, you look at the world around you, you think, that's not how the world works, Jesus. I know that's not, but I'm coming to rearrange things. (laughs) You only believe these things because it's Jesus who's saying it. And that's part of how our change, our journey of transformation begins. We believe in Jesus and we believe what he says. I actually think it's pretty easy to consider yourself a Christian and to believe in Jesus, but not actually believe what he says. But if we want to go on this journey of transformation, if we want to grow in discipleship, we start to believe, trust in what Jesus says. We're going to sing later, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.'" To believe in what he says. And Jesus, and this is important, Jesus comes to us from beyond us. This is something I like to talk a lot about in in the current world. We talk about modern day Babylon. And if you join us informed, again, it's not an advertisement, but it's an invitation. If you join us informed, in a few weeks we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines. They play a major role, I think, in helping get what's in our head down into our heart. They are the, the posture we assume to allow the Holy Spirit to do what we can't do. Move what's up here, down here. There's a lot of spiritual disciplines. We talk about them informed, But the two main spiritual disciplines in our tradition are studying the Bible, reading the Bible, and prayer. The Bible gets us beyond ourselves. It invites us into a bigger story so we can see things differently. The Bible answers some major worldview questions for us. What's wrong with the world and how can it be set right? What can can rescue us from the the problems we're facing? The Bible tells us who we are and why we are. gives us purpose and meaning. And again, this is a strong counterstatement to what you hear, especially those of you in the younger generation. We talk a lot about identity because identity is under attack. And in the world we live in with the internet, there is no like agreed upon bigger story to help you get beyond yourself. And so you're just given all these fragments. And what you're told is that you don't know who you are, but you get to name yourself. And all you need to do is look, not beyond yourself, but look within yourself and try to discern what it is that you're feeling the strongest and then express that feeling and you will discover who you really are. I say, no, that's not how it works. You are a part of a bigger story and the greatest name you will receive is the name that God gives you and God is beyond you. And he sees things that you will never see yourself. You're blind to see. Let God name you. He knows your truest self. Well, I do think I, my own journey, I've been discipled very well in how to study the Bible. I started in the group I was a part of. I went to seminary. I'm very trained in studying the Bible. But I will tell you, and I've said this before, I was not discipled well in how to pray well. That's why I consider one of the best gifts God has given me in the last seven years, prayer school. We also cover prayer school in form. I you've heard me say this before, but let me say it again because I don't know that we can say this enough. When I started praying, what I primarily did was create a laundry list of things I wanted God to do for me. And, I, and, I, and, I've, and I've invited you to think about this before. I would often either just pray around the emotion that I'm feeling that day or pray for the things I want God to do. And I ask you, how much transformation do you think happens in your life as prayer is all about you asking God to do what you want him to do? How much transformation happens in your life as prayer is all about you just expressing the emotion you're already feeling? Emotions, I've said this, are excellent windows into the soul, but they're horrible leaders. And so I've been discipled. I've learned how to pray in a way. It's not magical. It's not the only way to pray, but it's one of the ways I teach and form. I pray with a liturgy that keeps Jesus at the center of my prayer life. So that I'm being formed by someone who is beyond me. I'm being invited into a bigger story, into a relationship with Jesus, living in. I'm, I'm made in the image of God. And Jesus is the clearest expression of that image, and I'm being formed around Jesus so I can become who I've always been meant to be. It's an important part of the discipleship journey. But I will tell you, it's risky to pray this way, because when you pray this way, Jesus challenges you and changes you, and we are often afraid of change, aren't we? I think that's one of the reasons why we don't experience the radical transformation that we read about in the Bible, because we would rather be in control. And we would rather tinker in tiny self-improvement projects. And what ends up happening is we mostly stay on the surface and never get below to the surface to the core issues of our idolatry and our sin and our self-love. And Jesus says, but I can free you from all that. It's risky, it's daring, and most of us don't really want to change. I've been living this way long enough, thanks. But I'm telling you, if you want some of the promises and gifts of the kingdom, the peace, the purpose, the hope, the joy, the rest, the love, well, you've got to let Jesus do the work that only he can do. You've got to get beyond yourself and give Jesus full access to your life. We talk about that. Informed. And I can think I could say it this way, trusting Jesus is faith. And if you're going to trust, don't just trust the voices and culture, trust Jesus. Jesus is the safest, most trustworthy person you will ever meet. Trust Jesus. (laughs) Let's take a closer look, a little bit closer look, and then we'll zoom back out on these beatitudes and these woes. Jesus begins with these blessings, and again, I, I kind of raised the questions, but we should ask, why are you blessed if you're poor and hungry and lamenting and mistreated? Why are you blessed? Why? Well, let me say it this way. You're blessed because the King addresses these things. Because King Jesus cares for the poor. Or if we want to say it this way, in the kingdom of God, the poor are cared for. Because the kingdom exhibits the character of the king, and that's who Jesus is. (laughs) The king fills and satisfies the hungry. Or you could say in the kingdom of God, the hungry are satisfied and filled. The king, King Jesus, comforts the brokenhearted. Or you could say in the kingdom of God, the brokenhearted are comforted. This is how the kingdom works. The king brings joy and affirmation to those who are persecuted for the sake of this newness that the king is bringing into our worlds. And this is good news for all the people. All the people. That's why he's talking about the poor and the hungry and those who lament. It's good news for all the people who haven't had good news for a long time. It's not that there's anything virtuous about being poor or hungry, or broken-hearted, or hated in and of itself. It's more that if you are poor, hungry, broken-hearted, and hated, then you're ready for change. You look at how the world is, and you say, I can't stay this way. I've already lost everything, and when you've got nothing, you've got nothing to lose. So then you're all in with Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I'll trust everything he says. I'll do whatever he asks. I got nothing to lose. Jesus says, now I can work with you. You're blessed because you have nothing to lose. So you can jump on board with what I'm doing. One author kind of sums them all up this way. I like this. In Luke, Jesus blesses the poor without reference to what kind of poverty it is. The truth is this. Jesus meets us at our point of poverty, not our place of strength. If we want to position ourselves to receive Christ's blessing, we must identify an area of need and cry out for grace from there. If we think we have no area of weakness, need, or poverty, we essentially have no need for Jesus. This is why in the book of Revelation, Jesus condemns the people in the church of Laodicea for arrogantly confessing, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. They were essentially saying, Thank you very much, Jesus, but I don't really need you right now because I'm not poor. So be it. Jesus has no blessing for them. The grace of Christ is perfected in weakness and poverty, not in strength and wealth. Or, to say it another way, To be poor does not in and of of itself make one a follower of Jesus, But finding this place of poverty, being poor, can put you in the vicinity of what it might mean to discover the kind of poverty that frees those who follow Jesus from enslavement to the world. (laughs) And that's the only kind of freedom there really is. So Jesus blesses the people that we would say, these aren't the, but Jesus says, no, these are the people who are blessed. Because they're ready for change. They're they're not messing around with surface stuff. They're getting to the core of their issues. They actually want to repent of their deep idols that are rooted in their hearts. They want to be changed. So Jesus has these blessings, but he also has these woes. The woes very much balance out the blessings here, right? Woe to the rich, to the satisfied, to the happy, to those who are laughing now. Woe to those who like the way the world is currently arranged, or you may even say those approved of by the dominant culture. I know we don't like the woes as well. Cami and I have been really drawn to the Beatitudes. We pray them almost every day. And if you ever visit our house, we have our favorite paraphrase of the Beatitudes up on our kitchen wall. I will tell you, we don't have the woes up on our kitchen wall. We believe them, we think they're important, but we have the Beatitudes on our wall. They're formative for us. We don't like the woes as well. We don't put them on our walls, but they're important. And we can't rush past them. We have to sit with them for a second. So a few things about the woes. First of all, a woe is not a word of condemnation. We know from Paul's letter to the Romans in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. But the woes are laments. Jesus is lamenting. Oh, you think you're satisfied now, but you're not. He actually says this in Revelation to the church of La- You're actually miserable and you don't even know it. That's what he says. I mean, it's a woe, it's a lament. You, you, you think you're yourself, but you don't even know joy and happiness. No, you've got to find your place of poverty. And these woes, they should hit us hard. But they shouldn't surprise us if we are spending any time at all in the Gospels. Because Jesus is going to repeat the woe to the rich throughout his whole preaching ministry again and again. He's going to say it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God. And the disciples are going to flip out. Well, who can get in? And Jesus is going to say, well, with man it's impossible. With God it's it's always possible. I mean, even a rich person can be saved by Jesus. (laughs) But his point is, beware of wealth. Because it's going to sedate you. It's going to numb you. It's going to seduce you. It's going to make you comfortable. You're going to lose your curiosity. And you're going to think you don't need Jesus. It's a warning. It's a woe. And when you're satisfied, when you're full, you're not really interested in big changes, are you? I mean, you just want to put on your pajama pants and be comfortable on the couch. Don't bother me. You tend to resist big change. You're satisfied with the way the world's arranged, But Jesus Jesus is coming to set the world right. And he's coming to set your life right. (laughs) He's not coming to say, oh, you just stay exactly it. You've got it figured out. You don't really know. Jesus is going to mix everything up. And to those who laugh now, in Jesus' day, it would have been the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Romans. They were laughing. And Jesus says, well, there's changes coming, and you may not be laughing as much. I'm going to rearrange some things. And woe to you when people speak well of you, because that's what they do to the false people and the false prophets who buy into the falseness of the prevailing society. It's woes. It's warming. It's it's a hard-hitting sermon. And I do think we need to pause and ask ourselves the question, am I rich? Am I full? Am I satisfied? Am I living a life that just makes everyone speak well of me all the time? Am I laughing now? I think those are hard questions to ask, but we need to ask them. Now, I do want to follow up with this. There's nothing inherently wrong with being rich, full, or happy. If you read through the Old Testament, as the Old Testament writers talk about a life of flourishing with God, they often use language of being rich, full, and happy. (laughs) Laughter. There's nothing inherently wrong, and I actually believe eternity is going to be filled with this. But what Jesus is trying to tell us is that in the present way of arranging the world, Those are real dangers that will seduce you and numb you and sedate you and you will lose your compass setting. So I will say, may you be rich, may you be full, and may you be happy, but just know it's dangerous. I hope you experience that. But I also hope you keep your eyes on Jesus and never allow those things to seduce you away from a real fervency for the kingdom of God. Don't get comfortable and lose your curiosity about Jesus Christ because then Jesus only has woes for you and you no longer have his blessings. Or let me say this in another way. Let me put this in terms of modern day Babylon. There's a lot of language that gets used to talk about our culture today in modern-day Babylon, and I, mean, I don't know, I read a lot, I listen to a few podcasts, not that many, but, but some people are happy to call the times that we're living in a post-Christian time. Now, some people say, you can't call it that, I'm not worth, worth getting into but I would just say, however you want to think about it, I think one way of thinking about living in a post-Christian time is that people want the kingdom the fruit of the kingdom without the king. That's part of what it means to live in modern-day Babylon, is a lot of people in the church and outside of the church want the fruit of the kingdom without a king. They want the gifts without the giver. But it doesn't work that way. There is no kingdom without a king. We begin to fool ourselves into thinking, well, I can... I, I can be king. I can be queen. I can run this thing. I got this. I don't need Jesus. We we begin to fool ourselves. I can can manufacture my own meaning. I can manufacture my own identity. I can create a false sense of peace or purpose or hope. I can do, I can provide for myself. And Jesus says, woe to you. No, you need me, Jesus says. There is only one king and his name is Jesus Christ. You cannot have the fruit of the kingdom without the king. You cannot have the gifts of the kingdom without the giver. And I will tell you the kingdom of God is amazing, but the kingdom of God does not come without King Jesus. We need our king, never lose sight of our king. Well, I hope you see in this text that in Christ's teachings, we see both mercy and judgment. We see both blessing and woe. So what are we to say about Jesus and his kingdom bringing both blessing and woe, both mercy and judgment? And I think the big things, I think you can meditate on these, sit with these for a while, wrestle with them. Try to see if the Holy Spirit can, so you can reorder your desires and your love. See if you can believe these to be true, that you can actually believe not just in Jesus and what he did for you, but actually what he says live into what he says, trust him, believe him. But if you step back from these blessings and these woes, what do we say? Well, I think what we can say is that Jesus is always bringing change. He is an agent of change. I heard one pastor say, Jesus is not a priest of the status quo. Jesus didn't come to make sure everything pretty much stays the same as it already is. Praise God. If Jesus Christ comes into the world, he's coming to change it. And, again, I know we resist this, but it's actually good news. If Jesus Christ comes into your life, if you make a little space for him, if you give him permission, if you let him do what he wants to do, he's going to change you. And I don't even care how long you've been walking with him. He's going to change you. He's going to transform you. Jesus is never going to come to you and say, oh, you've got it all figured out. <laughs> you've got it all right. Good job. You don't need me. That's not how Jesus works. Because we get stuck in our little world, Jesus takes us beyond ourselves. He's an agent of radical transformation and change. And what that means is either blessing or woe depending on how you posture yourself before Jesus. If you're ready for your life to change and you're ready for the world to change, then Jesus and his kingdom will only be a blessing. It'll only be a blessing. But if you don't want your life to change and you don't want the world to change too much, then Jesus and his kingdom will only bring you woe. And it's kind of, in a sense, up to you whether the coming of Jesus is blessing or woe. What is your response? Jesus always comes with invitation and challenge. Do you want it or not? Now, I would wager, you might be sitting there wondering, do I want it or not? And I think it's a good question to ask. But I will say, if you're here this morning, or if you took the time to tune in, I mean, you could be doing other things. The fact that you're here tells me that you want it. Maybe you need to want it more. We'll pray about that. But you want it to a degree. There is some blessing of the kingdom coming for you. But heed the warning. Because I do believe there are people who go to church, but they don't really want Jesus in their life. They want the fruit of the kingdom without the king. They want to go to heaven when they die, but they don't really want want Jesus in their life. The fruit of their life says that. The choices they make, the way they don't actually believe what Jesus says. They don't really want anything in their life to significantly change here and now. They're satisfied with what we could call shallow spiritual life. They're satisfied with what modern day Babylon promises material comfort. They're at ease with the way the world is. It's when we think that we are rich, prosperous, and don't need anything that Jesus says, Whoa, whoa, sorrows are coming. But if you're curious, if you're hungry, if you're broken, if you're restless, if you're discontent with your own life and the world as it is, and maybe even persecuted, then Jesus says you're blessed. Jesus is going to bring the change that you're looking for. Now, let me pause here and give you just a little personal testimony. I was sharing this with my wife last week, and then I was sharing this with the staff team on Tuesday at our staff meeting. There's a few people in my life that I regularly check in with. I I ask them questions. How are you doing? How's your soul doing? What's Jesus up to in your life? And they ask me those questions. I hope you have people like that in your life. You need people like that in your life to help you connect with Jesus so you can get beyond yourself. That's why we have been talking a lot about Sunday school and small group informed. You say, that's going to mess up my schedule. Jesus always brings change. So you've got to be willing to change with him. You need people in your life. I hope you have them. But I was sharing. I mean, I do think, and I'm excited. I've said this. I'm more excited about Jesus than I've ever been, and I feel fine saying it. Jesus is changing me. I'm not the same person I used to be, and I'm trying to lean into, because what I'm realizing I'm realizing I've spent way too much time trying to manage the surface issues of my sin and idolatry. And so all that does is I can manage my surface issues for a while, but I never go deep enough to deal with the core issues that are happening inside of me. So my surface issues just shift to some other idol, but the core issue never changes. And I'm starting, and and the reason I stay there is because the primary levers I have pulled to deal with my sin most of my life are shame and fear and guilt and envy and jealousy and rage and all those things. And I'm starting to, I'm trying to trust what Jesus says, that actually if I'm broken and I don't have it figured out, I'm blessed. That I don't have to be happy all the time. Maybe if I allow myself to enter into the pain that I'm already feeling or the pain of the people around, maybe I'll be blessed and be happy. Maybe I'll learn to laugh. Maybe my soul will deepen and I will learn something of the freedom that Christ offers. And so I'm trying to lean into what Jesus says and I'm trying to learn to love. And I'm trying to trust in his love and trust in his grace and trust in his mercy and trust in his forgiveness. And and I know you'll say, "But, but then are you ignoring sin? And I say, no. I'm more honest about my sin than I've ever been. Because I know Jesus is for me and his grace is unfathomable and because I know he forgives me, I actually finally have the courage to face up to my idolatry and name it in the presence of others because I'm free from shame. And I can do this now. Leaning into the mercy and love and forgiveness of God will only cause you to be more honest about the sin in your life and the brokenness. And you'll get to the core issues. And if you get to the core issues, you might actually see the transformation you're longing for. You'll taste it, you'll feel it, and you'll say, the Lord is good. So if you want it, it's there. Jesus says, if you want it, if you know your brokenness, you say, I feel rich and satisfied today. and Now I'm broken, I say, good news. Because you'll be blessed. The kingdom is coming. Jesus is rearranging things. Jesus has work he wants to do in your life. You say it's too good to be true. I say the same thing, but I keep leaning in because that's who our God is. It's good news for everybody. If you're poor and broken... You can wait in your poverty and your brokenness and wait for Jesus to come and save you and transform you and heal you and fill you up and satisfy you with what truly satisfies. He will bless you in your brokenness. And if you're comfortable, look, if you're here this morning or you're online this morning and you're listening in, if you're comfortable and you're satisfied, then this morning we're going to pray. You can ask Jesus to give you a new hunger for spiritual growth a deep ache for the world to be set right. You can ask Jesus to move you out of your woeful self-satisfaction because you believe him. You believe, okay, Jesus, I trust you. If you say that's going to bring me woe, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to learn what you mean. (laughs) And you'll be changed. That's what Jesus does. He's an agent of change. Here, this is good news. (laughs) So let's lean into this. Let's pray a little bit. We've got a little time. Let's pray a little bit into this. If you're here, if you're at home, if you want to bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's walk through this. I, we kind of did a journey this morning. I, I want you to, some of you have done this in small group already, but maybe you have a different answer today. It's not a week ago or two weeks ago. I want you to think, maybe ask the Holy Spirit, zero to ten, how curious are you about Jesus this morning? How curious are you right now about who he is, about what he can do for you, about what it means to have a relationship with him, about what it means that God loves you, about what it means that Jesus died for you? What are the implications of Jesus going to the cross? What are the implications that we are experiencing resurrection life? What does it mean? Are you curious about Jesus? Are there things Jesus said even in the text we looked at today that don't make sense to you, but it's Jesus who said it, so you're curious? Where are you at on a scale of zero to ten? And here's the thing, if you feel like the Holy Spirit's given you a number, I don't know, somewhere between zero and five, then then I want to invite you to pray, God, move me from my woeful self-satisfaction. I don't know, zap me with electricity to awaken me from my sedated, numb, comfortable life. (laughs) Move me from my woeful self-satisfaction. Awaken me. I'm blind. Show me the glory of your presence. Overwhelm me with light shining from you, Jesus. So I see your beauty and I want more of you. I don't want the woes to outplay in my life. So so move me. I, I hear this message as good news. I'm honest. I'm not in a good place. But move me, Jesus. And if you're here this morning... And I don't know, I mean, this is subjective, but if you feel like the Holy Spirit gave you a number somewhere between five and 10, then just celebrate. Receive it. Maybe there's nothing different you need to do other than thank Jesus and stay on the journey and don't allow yourself to drift. You're blessed. You're poor, you're broken, you know your needs. But keep your eyes open because there's probably people around you that aren't where you're at, and they need you to get them moving again. I mean, I was so surprised in my small group how many people said their curiosity was stoked by the presence of another. Why don't you be that other? If you're excited about Jesus, let the world know. And if they reject you in his name, then get up and dance. Because Jesus says you're blessed. So Jesus, we hear this is good news this morning. It is invitation and it is challenge. But it means that there is life and change awaiting us. And we are excited for it. We're eager for it. We're desperate for it. And the last thing I'll say here, Jesus, is that we do want your kingdom, but not without our king. (laughs) We do want the gifts but not without the giver. The whole point of the gifts are that they flow out of our relationship with you, our giver. So Jesus, as we're about to sing, it is sweet. It is so sweet to trust in you. It's so sweet to take you at your word. <laughs> oh, would we be that kind of people? Would Cross you be that kind of church? And it's in the mighty name of King Jesus that we pray. Amen.